Welcome to Time to Write. I'm Emily Robertson. And I'm Amy Kelly. We are professional writers and critique partners. We've worked in traditional and independent publishing, podcasting, and social media marketing. Including my novel, Lifestyles of Gods and Monsters, published by a Big Five publisher. My long-running podcast, In the Middle of It. And Accomplished Authors, my business helping authors create an inspiring online presence. We are here to share our creative journeys and encourage you on yours. From the writing process to promoting your work and all of the messy in between, we're here to remind you that your story matters and it's worth sharing with the world. Okay, it's It's time time to to write. write. All right, welcome back, everyone. We're so happy to have you here with us on Time to Write today. I'm here with my lovely friend, Em. as As always, We are going to start off with our high lows. So mine for this week. So my high would be a couple of things, actually. So the first one is, and I've mentioned this before in the podcast, I'm involved with a group called Art House Dallas, and they had a writer's event on Friday morning in a little awesome, cool coffee shop in downtown Dallas. And so I went and met with a bunch of other writers and we just got to sit around and share and talk. And it was just so fun. It's so fun. I to love just, that. Yeah. I love doing that. Yes. So fun to meet with your people. The other really fun thing that I have been working on and enjoying is in my work in progress. Again, I've talked before about I'm using Story Genius as one of my resources, and I've gotten to the part in it where you're starting to work to craft your scenes, and they have this awesome little scene blueprint. I made my own in Canva, of course, because that's what I do. And so that's been super fun. So, and we'll be looking at it, I think, in a little bit too. So if you're watching on YouTube, you can totally see what that looks like. On the other side of that, My low this week would be I'm to the point where I'm crafting my first scene and I have the blueprint filled out, but I'm really having trouble writing the first scene and I feel like I've been cranking it. And so just trying to step back and breathe a little bit and do other things that are creative, but letting my brain just kind of percolate, right? Just percolate on it. So that would be my, my low is just not liking the cranking and being reminded that, yeah, sometimes it is about choosing to rest. Right. Take a step away. Yeah. Not resting, not doing anything, but just stepping away. Yeah. So my high low, my high was I went with friends to the horse races, which is there's close to us here, but also it's the town of Hot Springs, which is where our horse races are. Is also the beginning of the site in my work in progress. So it was just fun to go, but be with friends and people and not really in writer mode at all, but still taking in everything, the sights and sounds. So that was really fun. And then my low is that I have a project. We'll tell you guys more about it later, but I am at the very last phase of going through and like, just honestly, it's wordsmithing. It's pulling, it's just making the words better. And it's time-consuming and attention, it's ticky-tacky. And I have not, for the last two weeks, I haven't done it at all. And some of that is that my time has been really weird. And some of it is that it's not very fun to me. So knowing that it's both things, but I can't move on till I finish it. So I just need to finish it, which I'll do today, hopefully. But I keep having other things that feel more important. Yes. Well, and I think that totally fits. I don't know if we've shared this before on the podcast and I'll make a note of it so that if people want to look it up, if they're not familiar with it, they can look at it. 
But there's a personality test called the Enneagram and M. You and I are both sevens. And sevens are notorious for loving the joy uh, and the creativity of starting projects and really struggling with the finishing of them or the ticky tacky details of right. things like details make my skin crawl. Whereas yes. thankfully for my husband, he thrives on them and the big right. picture is more elusive. But yeah, I can see where that sounds very difficult. Well, and I could just not do I could either a just not do it or b like hand it off to someone else except it's something I actually really do care about which is words like I care a lot about words and so this is going for like hitting all your varies and making sure that is very really the right word because when you say very happy this is deep in the weeds but is it jubilant or is it like excited <laughs> and like nobody but me knows the answer to that so I've already used find and replace to find all of them. It's the replacing because I can't just take all the varies out because then people are just happy, mm -hmm. which I'm happy people are fine. But English is rich with words. Yes. Switch some of mine out. Yes. So. It's a quality control thing. That's yes. very, very important very, and annoying and annoying. All right, let's get on to our okay. Monster, yeah. About so what are we thing? what are we talking about today, Em? Today we are talking about something called story circles, which Yay. I did not know about until I have always been a plancer. <laughs> if anyone doesn't yeah. know the difference between a pantser and a plotter, a plotter is a person who plots out a book in advance, and a pantser, which comes from flying by the seat of your pants. Did you know that that's where it comes from? Uh -huh. that's, yeah. A lot of people actually don't like the term pantser. They prefer like discovery writer or something else. I'm always been kind of an in-between person. Like for lifestyles, the plot was handed to me by, you know, 3,000 years of European myth history. Right. Western, whatever. The myth, because I just use the myth. But in other things I've written, I have two varying degrees plotted things out. But I have always really struggled with having your characters tie into the plot you lay out, like having their feelings and wants and needs like overlay the plot. And so I, what do you think? Six months ago, eight months ago, found this idea of story circles and have found it really, really great and shared it with Amy and she's using it now. And so the place I found out about them is on Tyler Mowbray's YouTube, Tyler Mowry's YouTube, which we have a link to, and on a video from Michael Arendt, who wrote Toy Story 3 and Little Miss Sunshine, talking about how stories work. So I found it super useful as a way to sort of even visualize a story. So we kind of were hoping it might be really useful to you guys. Yeah. And what I love about it is it's just another tool. And it's easy and fun to use. I think it's because it's visually appealing and you kind of get it. It's easy, right. I think. And we'll talk about this a little bit more. I think when you were first introducing it to me, in my mind, I was trying to overlay it with like the three act structure. And so that took some, it's not a direct, if you look at the circle, it's not like you divide it into quarters and look at your three acts necessarily. Well, you, you sort of do though, because when you split it in half, the whole bottom circle is act two. Okay. Let's explain it. Yeah, let's explain it. Let's do that. But I will say this really quickly. I think for me, plotter, pantser, I'm a plantser as well, because I feel like my first draft, I usually pants. And then 
once I kind of figure it out, then I go back and do the outlining and make sure I'm hitting all the beats. So, okay, story circles. Let's jump in. Yes, let's jump in. So the idea with the story circle is it is what's called fractal. So a fractal is, it's like a snowflake. You know, when you go down and on a snowflake, it's still a crystal. The closer you get, it's still a crystal. So each scene is also a circle. And each chapter is a circle and each act is a circle. And then the whole thing is a circle. And so the idea is your character comes into a situation. And Amy, do you have a story circle that we could put up? Yeah, yeah, I have it right here. Hang on, Um, let me share my screen. So if if you're on YouTube, you can get a screen share. If you are (laughs) listening to the podcast, check out Accomplished Authors, Amy's Uh social media to see. So the idea is... At the beginning, the character is in a zone of comfort. So they're tooting along, doing their ordinary life. And so that's at one. So if you're on a clock, that's at 12 o'clock on the clock. But they want something, right? Because your character has to be missing something or else you don't have a story. If you have a character that's already in there happily ever after, we don't have a story. Characters have to want something because they have to have the opportunity to change. So one and two is the beginning. and then. At number three, they go into an unfamiliar situation to find it. That is either because they are tossed into the unfamiliar situation, if it is Dorothy leaving Kansas for Oz, or they go out to find it. Either way. So one, two, to three, that is your beginning stage. Your character is like sleepwalking or kind of like figuring stuff out, right? They aren't moving forward in the story world yet. Three is when they go into the unfamiliar situation. And from three to four is them just finding their feet, right? They're in Oz. All this stuff is happening. They have no idea what's going on. By number four, they adapt to it. So for those of us, and I am totally in this category, who struggle to have our characters act I have a lot of trouble with passive characters, writing characters that things happen to rather than doing things. That is fine for numbers one, two, three. After four, your character has to be making choices, even if they're bad choices. Like I have actually started saying choices, not action for myself because it helps me really run through it and say, what is my character choosing in this scene? or in this, you know, in the overall, in the pursuit of their goal. And so to go back to earlier, it really helps if you give them a pretty big want. Everything's easier if your character has a big thing that they want. And everything's easier if you have something or someone set in opposition to their want, because that is what builds the conflict. And I know This was so hard for me for so long, you guys. So I totally understand this. The idea that they need to want something tangible, something that you can like actually put your finger on. So if they want to be happy, your character has a version of what happy means that is manifestable in the world. It's not just that they want to be happy. They want something that they believe will make them happy. Does that make sense? Defeating Voldemort, becoming a vampire to spend the rest of your life with the person you love. A new house. A new house, becoming a writer, Joe Joe March. 
Right. And not just becoming a writer because Joe March, and this is like one of the things Amy and I have talked about is Joe March wants to be published and she wants to become a writer so she can support her family. Right. But what's funny about Joe March is she wants to support her family, but she wants to be a writer. Right. So it's like Joe isn't willing to go do something else that isn't being a writer, but she'll do anything she can to write something that will support her family. Because there are other characters you could write who would give up on their writing because they believe they can't also support their family and do that. So this is where you really get into your characterization. So starting at number four, your character is actually doing, they're adapting, they're thriving in the new situation. And one of the things that they talk about in the Story Circles videos, which I thought was super interesting and really helpful to me, is that at number five, they actually get what they want. They get what they want. But in number six, they pay a price for it because all choices have consequences. So if you choose, you know, to do one thing, that means you can't choose something else. And so they're going to pay the price for it and go through that. And then they're going to return to their familiar situation where they were at the beginning at number seven. And this is where, if you are writing a change story, a story where your character is going to change, or if you're writing a tragedy, this right here, right before seven, is what people call the dark night of the soul. It is where your character has lost everything they thought they believed about themselves. It's right there, right before seven. So they walk into seven back in their familiar situation, returned with everything upside down. And then at number eight, they make the choice whether or not to change. So if it's a change arc, this is where they change. And they just that last little bit, but they will have made the decision to change probably at right after seven. Like they'll have the, the epiphany right around seven pointing as though you can see me pointing but they'll have the epiphany right around seven and then the actual change happens from seven eight back to one and the question is why do we have to see the change why we have to see the change is because as they talk about in a number of different podcasts but it's totally true talk is cheap talk is cheap (laughs) we don't believe that characters have changed until we see it And if you're writing a tragedy where a character doesn't change, this is also where that happens because they have everything in front of them. This is that desperate moment. If you're watching a tragedy, it's actually why I hate, I mean, I love them, but I also hate them where you're like, no, don't do that. And then they do it anyway, because they double down on whatever the flaw was, the want that they wanted. It's that point in the movie where the person who always wanted to be famous chooses being famous over their true love. And you're you're like, no, (laughs) don't do that. So so this is the basics of story circles. But Mm -hmm. I think the idea that was really helpful for me, the most helpful thing is that as you're sort of mapping your story is understanding where your character goes from being thrown in the pond to swimming. Right. And they have to be swimming by number four or else we, I'm pretty sure that someone there, I hear you because I was this person is saying right now, Emily, you know, when I 
am in these situations. I just freeze. I don't do anything. So why does she have to do something? Number one, not doing something is actually choosing. That's the first thing. Number two, we all have that friend, right? The friend that I always refer it to that thing from when Harry met Sally, where Meg Ryan's friend is like, you're right. You're right. I know you're right. He's never going to leave her. We all have that friend, right? Where they're like, I wonder what I could do to like pick a thing, you know, save money to go on vacation. And they say that while you are literally with them and they just ordered a hundred dollar meal. And you're like, you could order the vegetarian option. (laughs) And you say that and they're like, oh no, I couldn't do that. We all have that friend, right? Where it's just endlessly. And you're like, oh my gosh, are we still talking about this? Because clearly you don't really want to do this. You just talk about it. It's really frustrating in a friendship, but the people we love, we keep doing it. In a story, people will put your book down. They will put your book down. They will walk away because it's so frustrating. So I cannot remember who said this. It was on the Screenwriting Life podcast is where I heard this, but I've totally taken it to heart. A protagonist is a character who is 100% committed to a terrible plan. You can run with that all day long, right? Like they're not paralyzed because they're protagonating, they're protagonisting, they're doing. Right. It's really hard when you love your main characters so much mm-hmm. to have horrible things happening to them because of the horrible plan that they've chosen, right? right. So it's right. really being willing to kind of at that number three circle, that going place to say, okay, love you. And now I've got to like turn that off and just throw everything at you. I've just got to throw everything at you because that is how people change. Nobody changes when it's easy. Nobody does. They don't have, they don't change when it's easy in real life and they sure don't change when it's easy in stories. And the other thing is, which isn't here in the story circle, but is definitely a thing to think about as you're writing these scenes Where is the opposition? Where is the conflict? Where, who doesn't want them to get what they want, right? And how is that? And that person is going to be adaptive person or tornado if it's a, you know, whatever the thing is that your antagonistic force, that antagonist is going to be adapting just as they're adapting. And one of the things that they talk about, and this is not in the story circle, but I find really helpful if you're thinking about this, like if you're finding that things are too easy for your main character, it may be that you didn't build your antagonist big enough. And I recently heard this and I have found it so useful. When you're designing a story, because that's what we're doing, we're designing them. When you're designing a story, what if you imagine your antagonist as being what happens to your main character if they don't change. Oh, that's great. So your antagonist, the force that is opposing your character in the story is who your character will become if they don't change. So I love that because you can apply it to the stories that you know and love and totally understand that. It always shows up. Right. Well, and then it also really helps you understand because one of the things that this is the thing about all this stuff is like, this is a tool to use, but we'll do another episode about story genius because it's also a super great (laughs) system for this. But your character for sure, most of the time has a misbelief about either themselves or the world. And that is what's getting them in the way because the thing about it is about the best stories 
in the best stories, if somebody showed up at number one and offered your character everything that they want, they couldn't take it. They couldn't actually do it because they haven't done everything they need to get to the place where they actually, because people want something because they think like somebody who wants like, let's say they want a bigger house because that they think will represent safety. Let's give that as an example. What's the misbelief there? What's one of them you can think of that's a misbelief? If I have a bigger house, I will be safe. Right. So no, like that's not true. <laughs> right. So the misbelief there form. might be that like what we own. What we own can make us safe. Can like, make us safe. Or the misbelief might be what other people think of think. me. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of things. And or, so underlying yeah. that is that the character does not feel safe, right? But probably the character doesn't feel safe because of some underlying misbelief. The best example I can think that I find really useful to look at this way is actually from, I think it's from Story Genius, is the idea of like, what if you have a character whose underlying misbelief is people will always cheat you? That's what they believe. Everybody's just always out to get for themselves so people will always cheat you. You think about, they walk in a situation and let's say they walk in a jewelry store and the jewelry store says, oh my gosh, it's your lucky day. We're having a big sale today. So you're getting everything for half off. You know, here's this diamond you thought you wanted, but now it's half off. The person has the misbelief that everybody's trying to cheat you. They might get mad. They might be like, who are you trying to scam here? Right, right. And so if they bring that energy into all their interactions, the lesson they probably need to learn is like some people are trying to cheat you, but some people are actually honest and truthful. It's not everyone, right? Like characters always, this um, this is an always, I'm making an always statement about an always statement, but it's characters will tend to believe that something is always or never true, or there's one way to be in the world. And part of the lesson they're learning is no, like that's not, because the bottom falls out of their world because a character has a worldview. And the bottom falls out of it. And then they have to adapt, adapt, reconfigure, change. I mean, the reason why I think stories are so valuable to us as people is because it teaches us how to change, how to adapt, how to how to act. Right. So when you're writing your story and you realize this is where I find the story circles the most useful because of my tendency to write characters who are never wrong. (laughs) Is to say like, okay, where are they making mistakes? But because they oftentimes, the way my characters are never wrong is that they don't do anything. Right. Well, and I think this is a good time to bring up one of the reasons why I really love the story circle framework is I often feel like I get plot and internal journey intertwined and, and they are supposed to be intertwined in some ways, but I mean intertwined where They don't have all eight elements. So really this has helped because I have a story circle for the plot and then I have a story circle for my character's inner journey. Right. And so that's been really helpful because you need a complete inner journey. You need a complete plot external journey. Right. That's been really great too. And I think too, when you start to look at that question, you also, when you look at the story, it's for me being able to, I got a big piece of butcher paper and I drew this out on it because it was really helpful to me to do it this way, is that then I can see like, oh, let's say I get to seven 
Like I had written a story where the seven on the internal journey wasn't nearly big enough. Well, that told me the external journey, the plot, whatever happened at seven needed to be way bigger. Right. So you can look at it that way as you're sort of, if you're a planter, as you're riding along and you realize like, oh, I've gotten to what should be the dark night of the soul. And my character's like, oh, I stubbed my toe. No, this is the all is lost. Right. That moment at seven, the return moment, that should feel like if you think about, so I love Moana and Moana is a great example actually of, and this is, I've taken from the Screenwriting Life podcast, Megalophobe talks about this, is Moana is actually, a, which is one of my favorite things of all time, is actually a claiming story. It's Moana claiming her power. Okay. And her misbelief, she's not wrong, right? She's like, from the beginning, she's like, I want to go to the ocean. And that's actually what she finds out she's supposed to do. Her misbelief was that she had to go get Maui and Maui would show her what to do, as opposed to like, the truth is, it was her. It was her to do it. But that moment when she is like standing there and like she is at the island and Maui is not there and there's a volcano and everything, that big of a moment, that's where things need to be for your character. Even if it's just an internal one. And I just wrote something recently that had no supernatural elements at all. But it's that moment where the whole house of cards that your character has built has fallen. Fallen. Everything Exploded. they thought was true is not. And now what do you do? Right. And so the great thing about the seven moment, this return moment, and if you listen to the Michael Arendt one about Toy Story 3, there's one, his endings one, but then also watch his one about making Toy Story 3. It'll blow your mind. But he talks about like that moment where your character is just shattered is the moment where they can hear the thing that changes everything. The moment where they can see like, oh. Their aha moment. Their aha moment. Their, oh no, there's a whole other way of being in the world that I didn't know. And now I'm going to take that forward and I'm going to move forward and make changes or they close the door again if it's a tragedy. Right. And then we have the aha moment and they don't. Right. And so I think that is looking at the story circle as like the big overarching picture blueprint for your novel. But let's talk about the fractal of it now, because once you've done it for the novel, then you can take it down to the next level, which would be. I think when you start to look at scenes, right, when you start to look at scenes, you can totally tell because characters need to change scene to scene. If your character is consistently doing the same thing in every scene don't do that they need to change and grow and so when you sit down to write you can do this on a scene you're actually going to look at and say my character walked in this new situation and what Tyler and Mowry talks about is the only thing that doesn't happen in a scene by scene one is you don't get to that seven eight and back to one until towards the end Right, Because your character probably hasn't learned their lesson yet, but they're still going to want something, pay a price for it, go in a new situation. Right. Right. Well, so that's a beginning on Story Circles. Hey, Amy. Yes, ma'am. Are you reading anything now or have you read anything in the past? Um, So I was actually thinking thinking about that earlier. So what I was going to share, it's an author 
whose body of work that I've really loved and enjoyed and go back to over and over again. And that is Cassandra Clare. And she has several, several, several novels and series actually that are all set within the same world that she's created. You may be familiar, there was a show on the CW that was based on that world called Shadowhunters. But the first series that I read of hers started with City of Bones. I love her world building, number one. And I think I've shared recently, I'm still trying to figure out like my magic world, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So, so she's very inspirational in that. So I would say Cassandra Clare's City of Bones. How about you, Anne? Okay. So I recently read something that I'm like telling everyone about. It is John Green's The Anthropocene Reviewed. Right. Which is very short essays where John Green, who's the author of Faulkner Stars and a bunch of other things, basically ranked, gave stars to all kinds of things. Teddy bears, Canada geese, scratch and sniff stickers, sunsets. And it was just this lovely book in the sense like it just made me think in different ways, which is sometimes something I really enjoy doing. And his voice is so strong. So anyway, I recommend Well, and let me throw this out there too with John Green. If you're not following him on Instagram, and I haven't checked him out on TikTok. I don't know if he does both, but... He does. Okay, follow him. He's hysterical. Like, number one, he's hysterical. I always love things that make me laugh. But again, his things that are hysterical almost always make you look at something in a different way, which I love that too. Totally. Okay, for for kind of marching orders here, I think... For mindset, I think this can help us think about story in a different way, right? And what are some practical things and next steps that people can do, Em? Well, I think one thing you can do, and I do recommend that you go and watch the videos because it's super helpful. Although I will say, and Tyler Mowry totally says this and is 100% true, do not go and watch 100 of them without writing anything because this is something, I mean, you can do that if you want to. Who are we to tell you? But I will tell you (laughs) that in my experience of using this tool, and this is what I'm going to say, it doesn't work until you actually begin to try to use it. So the first step I would say is map a story you're familiar with and see how the characters change. And this is not just to really be clear. This is not a perfect system. This is not a rubric. This is not a treasure map that will lead you to author genius. It's just a way of thinking about stories that's really helpful. So what do you think people should do next? So I would say is maybe take something that you've already been writing and try to apply this to it, put it into the story circles. Does it make sense with what you've written? Do you find any holes or weak spots? And this is something I've actually recently done and then brought these story circles to our critique group And it's really interesting how apparent it is where there's something that needs some tweaking, which is awesome. Like, it's so helpful. All right. And don't forget to check out our Patreon if that is something you were interested in. And um, we look forward to talking to you guys next week. Great. Thank you guys so much. Bye. Thanks so much for being with us today. We love our people and we want to get to know you better. So email us at questions at timetowritepodcast.com to have your questions considered for the show. You can also suggest topics by emailing us there. Also, drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Not only will it thrill us. Seriously, we read everyone. It also helps others find the show. 
We're driven by sharing stories and your review helps us do that. Just remember your stories matter and we're rooting for you to find time to write. Even if it's only five minutes, five minutes, you can do it. You can do it.